the blast from our past network. Podcasting After Dark presents TV Obscura, a deep dive into underrated and unknown television shows from our youth. Cartoons, sitcoms, cop shows, and much more. Sit back and enjoy some nostalgic fun with TV Obscura. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the first episode of 2024's TV Obscura. I am one-third of the TV Obscura team, Corey, a.k.a. Sleazy C. Joined with me, as always, are my two brothers from other mothers, Zach the Total Snacked Schaefer and Diallo the Armageddon Jackson. And we are kicking off the year with a... Woo! Three wild, wild live-action TV shows. We are going to be billing uh, this... Uh, collection as Cali Crime Fighters because two of the shows take place in San Francisco. One of them is in LA. Uh, Zach and I were, were discussing uh, prior that we wish uh, all of them took place in San Francisco and we would call it San Francisco Crime Fighters, but it's okay. Fucking Cali Crime Fighters. The Californians. <laughs> First up, I will be uh, reviewing Partners in Crime 1984. Then uh, Diallo will be discussing Hooperman, which came out in 1987. And then Zach will be bringing it home with Max Monroe, colon, Loose Cannon, 1990. Uh, Real quick, Zach, I think it's safe to say you have a TV show type for sure. Oh, I have a, I have a, I have a type. Period. I have a male type. I have a, I have a man type. I have a, I have an aesthetic. I have a music. Well, Zach, you you sound pretty good for possibly having the flu at the moment. So, guys and gals, we're going to kind of dig into these uh, pretty quickly. Unknown fume, baby! We don't want Zach to die. And I can't really say I hope everyone had a good New Year's because we were technically (laughs) recording this before New Year's. But we did. We all, all three of us had great New Year's. Uh, Our balls dropped. The ball dropped. (laughs) And it was fabulous. I'm going to be on fire tonight. Like this. Woo! Actually, I will ask real quick, uh, Diallo and Zach, do you guys have any plans uh, for New Year's? We usually kind of hang out with our sister and brother-in-law. We don't really go out or anything. Are, do you guys have plans at all? Diallo? Um, I usually hang out with Zach and those guys for the first, like the afternoon for, what is it, Irish uh, yeah, New Year? We do Irish New Year's at 4 o'clock during the day because it's New Year's Eve somewhere nice. in the world. Dude, you start drinking at 4 o'clock? Yeah, and then I'm in bed by 9. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. And then, y'all, where do you go afterwards then? Um, I usually go to my friend's house, and uh, they watch. Like, I usually stay up just to watch the like the New York New Year, so like 9 o'clock. And then they do fireworks on the bluffs out here at Santa Monica, and then I go home, and I go to bed. Because <laughs> I'm not staying up till midnight, because time is a construct and it doesn't really matter 
what number we put all the year and I wake up and nothing feels different. So <laughs> this is true. Word, word, and word. <laughs> word, word, and word. Right. Overrated. <laughs> well, plus, Yellow, you went to uh, college in Vermont anyway, so you can always be like, eh, it's, it's an East Coast thing anyway. So, you know, nine o'clock is fine. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Corey? Are you going to stay up late and trip the night fantastic? Probably, yes. Yes, <laughs> we probably will. Uh, we'll probably go to bed around 2 or 3 or something like that. Uh, Myra will have off oh, work the next day, so we, we can just sleep in and pretty much do that absolutely sounds, nothing. So That sounds terrible, to be honest with you. <laughs> it sounds terrible. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, can, I can see where you're coming from with that statement. Um, and, and we do daddy, daddy, wake up, D- wake up. It's time to talk about Zelda at <laughs> seven in the morning. Got five hours sleep. Oh, Bodie, he loves his Zelda. We, we know we'll talk about that on wrap up after dark, uh, next <laughs> week. So, all right, guys, but let's, let's kick this off because we have some, some real, I think we have a lot to talk about with these three shows, to be honest with you. Um, but I'll kick us off with a partners in crime, 1984. Partners in Crime was an American crime drama television series set in San Francisco that aired on NBC for 13 episodes in 1984. It was created by William Driscoll and starred Linda Carter and Lonnie Anderson as two women brought together by the murder of their mutual ex-husband, Raymond. Linda Carter, playing Carol Stanwyck, and Lonnie Anderson, playing Sidney Kovac, like, and by the way, back in 1984, it blew everybody's mind that Sydney was a girl's name, which I found. Oh, must have had a crazy daddy. So that was so <laughs> weird. It was just. Anyways, anyways, we'll we'll talk about that. Uh, so yeah, so Carol Mrs. Stanwyck. Stanwyck. Wait, Mrs. Stanwyck. I know, I know, Fletch. I know. <laughs> and Sydney Kovac set out to find the killer and eventually end up running the detective agency Raymond has left them. They are assisted by Raymond's mother, Elaine Heckart, uh, known for probably like First Wives Club, uh, Lieutenant Vronsky, Leo Rossi, we all know from Halloween 2, and Raymond's and relentless ass- and Raymond's assistant Herman Shane, Walter Olkowicz. Um, I recognize him. I know he was in like Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. He also um, on uh, Batman animated series uh, did the voice of uh, Falcone. Um, but uh, I think I butchered his uh, his his last name though. Um, so real quick, uh, getting into my backstory for the show, I never even heard of it. Um, but I follow like an Instagram account uh, called like I think like Rabbit Ears TV, something like that. And they, you know, they always post pictures of, like, TV shows from the 70s, 80s, 60s, stuff like that. And I kind of used that to sort of, like, you know, get ideas for TV Obscura. And they posted this amazing promo shot of Linda Carter and Lonnie Anderson. And I was like, what the, what is Partners in Crime? And how have I never heard about this? So, and why can't we see your hands? <laughs> exactly. But seeing as how uh, growing up, born in 78, growing up uh, in the 80s, Linda Carter and uh, Pam Greer were my first two crushes growing up. Uh, clearly, I have a curvy type as well. Um, but uh, I was a big Wonder Woman fan, so I was a, I was shocked that I'd never heard of this show. But um, it was only 13 episodes, um, which you know explains a lot. It was only on from, I think, September to December of that year of 1984. 
Um, and I'll just, before we kind of get into, you know, general discussion stuff, I will say that I asked my cousin, um, my cousin Chris, who's about, I think about five or six years older than me, if, uh, if he had heard of the show or if he remembered watching it and his reply was, oh yes. <laughs> so I guess, you know, it landed in some people's, uh, laps. It just never made it to mine, but at 87, I was, uh, nine years old. So, you know, that, that makes sense. Um, any, I mean, before we get into the whole general discussion about it, Diallo, did you have any experience with partners in crime going into this? Um, it was more, I remember it like being promoted, uh, but I don't believe I, if I ever watched the episode, I don't remember. Um, I do, when you brought it up, I do remember that it was a show with, uh, the two, uh, actresses, but yeah, I mean, 1984, I would have been about. 12 or 13 years old so i don't really it was definitely wasn't in my like obviously obviously linda carter and lonnie anderson (laughs) were in my my realm of like oh i should watch this but the the subject matter of the show wasn't really the type that i think i would have like jumped into um i don't know when it like what day of the week it came on on either so, um, yeah, and I was probably more into watching whatever a, the A team or whatever at the time. So, um, I didn't, it, it's, it missed me for the most part. And I kind of forgot to look it up, but WKRP in Cincinnati came out before this, right? Like that was late 70s. Well, long before that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I should have mentioned also as well, I was a big WKRP in Cincinnati fan. So I watched, I used to watch that. I used to watch, um, you know, sing it Diallo, Taxi. sing it Diallo, baby. Did you ever wonder, wonder <laughs> whatever became of me? I'm living all the air in Cincinnati, Cincinnati WKRP. Dude, awesome, bro, <laughs> awesome. Oh, man, it's like I, it just goes through my body. I can't help it. I just got to sing. <laughs> I will say that this uh, the, the theme song for this one's not quite as catchy. Um, I I'd never heard it. That was, that was, was what was blowing me away. That's mind-blowing right there. That's yeah. an exclusive. Exclusive. Breaking. <laughs> right? Zach, what is your history with, with this? Zero. Uh, yeah, I mean, just like you guys, I had a crush on both leading ladies. Never heard of this show. Um, and never, you know, yeah, never knew it existed. But I'm so glad I watched it, and I'm so glad that you brought it to TV Obscura because it it was well, it was pleasantly surprising. Well, just uh, go go for it, Bison. See, none of us have you've seen it, so you just start leading the direction of the general discussion. Just for timing's sake, I watched the second episode, not the pilot. I watched the second episode titled "Celebrity." And in that episode, it's referenced that they took over the business from their dead husband. Uh, So, you know, you get a little bit of like, oh, that's why they're doing what they're doing. But it's and and I'm biting off of what Diallo said to us online. It's essentially the bodyguard. Uh, Vanessa Williams is is a is a singer and she's she has a stalker and it's up to the partners of crime to basically be her bodyguards. And uh, hilarity ensues. No, I'm kidding. And and so, as I'm watching it, 
first thing that struck me was that you get to see Vanessa Williams sing three times in this episode. And I hadn't seen her sing since we broke down Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. (laughs) And if you want to know our take on that, go listen to that episode way back when, uh, over a year or two years ago, I think. Is is it Um, sad that I forgot she was in that movie? No, because she's actually not really in a whole lot of it. She's like in three or four scenes, maybe tops. Uh, But anyways... This like immediately I'm struck by the the quote unquote guest appearances. Maybe these guys were not as uh, no 84. Billy Drago was a big deal back then. Billy Drago, of course, from Invasion USA and countless uh, bad guy roles like the Untouchables. The Untouchables. He was amazing in that. You got him. I got so good, dude. The soundtrack for that, too. But yeah, Um, but no, that and Leo Rossi, who I love. And uh, yeah, of course, Vanessa Williams um, and the dialogue is just hilarious in it. Like, yeah, you, we talked about Sydney, Lonnie Anderson's character. They're like, oh, uh, what, what? well, one of them says must have been, must have had a crazy daddy. And then another person says, uh, uh, girl named Sydney. Huh? Like, like that's wow. <laughs> OK, I forgot. Well, no, I did not forget I was reminded yet again, while there are many things in the 80s that totally sucked, and acceptance of names and earrings and long hair on dudes, like that was not, that was a taboo back then. But, um, you know, you get to see Lonnie Anderson playing a stand-up bass, which is amazing, and (laughs) super awkward white people dancing at the end, which is phenomenal. Uh, I mean, I I, I don't want to take over too much more, but man, like, it screams... It screams late '70s vibes to me, um, even though it came out in '84. Just the and it also reminded me of like a CBS show. When I found out that this was on NBC, I was kind of surprised. I was like, "Oh, this feels like it would have been perfect after like Murder She Wrote or Matlock," which I think Matlock was on ABC. But anyways, um, yeah, there's cocaine. There's <laughs> There's psychos. Uh, there's little spoons. I I think if I was a kid watching this, I'd be like. Oh, that's what those spoons are for. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, you mentioned, that's my two cents. Well, you mentioned the, um, you know, how they kind of yeah drop that little bit of dialogue in there about how they took over the agency from their, you know, their their ex husband, and of course Vanessa Williams like looks at him. They're like, we weren't married to him at the same time, so that's a little bit of a joke too. But the pilot episodes um, intro theme song actually has dialogue that sets everything up, which is weird. Because it took place before the pilot, so you, it's everything you learned in the pilot, essentially. But then they dropped the dialogue for the episodes moving forward, where I'm like, you probably should have actually kept that for the episodes moving forward. Um, well, it was a two-hour pilot. It, yeah, right? hour and a half hour pilot. On, on YouTube. So, yeah, it probably aired at two hours, yeah. And you're telling me that the intro to the show, which is in the beginning of the show, right? Yeah. It had the it, basically the, the dialogue breaking down what happens on the show. Well, yeah, of what, the, of what the show is like. These two ladies, they their husband and then their ex husband oh, died, and then they took over the agency. And I'm like, well, we haven't even actually seen that yet. <laughs> was it a little bit? Was it a little like Charlie's Angels esque, where you know ah, this is it. no? I mean, it was. Talking to I think it was the mom. It was the mom narrating it, I believe. Um, okay. But yeah, anyways, it it, it was more helpful. Then the episode two's intro, which was just the music. It was all the same visuals, but they just dropped 
the dialogue track and kept the music. Um, but uh, Diallo, what what were your thoughts on this one? I'll, I'll finish it up when when you guys are done. What were your thoughts on the? You watched two episodes, right? Um, no, I just watched the. It, well, it was kind of weird because the episode, the second episode, was actually listed as the first one on. I think IMDb. I yeah, think it IMDb was. The, but, the yeah. listed celebrity as the first because I was trying yeah. to find the people from the first episode, and it's it's not even listed as the pilot anywhere. Mm-hmm. But it uh, it clearly was not the first episode because I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> And I had to uh, look it up to, uh, in the middle of watching it, I had to look up to see why they were in the situation they were in. And it's pretty like, yeah, they should have just had that in the the opening um, the opening music or whatever. Um, I wasn't terribly impressed with it. <laughs> I, uh, it was fine. I just, I, I, I just felt, I, I was watching it and I was like, I can see why it didn't last. That's, uh, that was my main, my main thought. It also that that episode also kind of felt like a weird, like, uh, not a backdoor pilot. I don't know how you would do it. Like a promotional. They were trying to push. Um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Vanessa Williams. Vanessa Williams. Yeah, it felt like they were just like because she had she was like two years away from having one Miss America or whatever. I think uh, it was eighty two. Well, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and this was this was uh, if this aired in September. Sorry to interrupt, but if this aired in September, this comes uh, about two months after the fact that she almost dropped her title because she posed for Penthouse magazine. She didn't pose for Penthouse, but the whoever took those uh, erotic photos of her back two years prior in '82 uh, sold them to Penthouse, and there was a whole big scandal. So. She was like in recovery mode, I think, as far as making a comeback. Uh, I mean, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah, I, I, I kind of, I remember it because you know it's black, black stuff, black <laughs> stuff. So I know about it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> she just, they, it, like that whole thing. I mean, it was a thing, but it was more about her dropping the title than anything else. Um, it like slightly tarnished her reputation, but she had already started to move into trying to do more like other things. And they were trying to push the music side of her. Um, it, she didn't really, I think it was like in the late eighties when she, like, I think she might've dropped like 86 or 87 when she dropped her first album. So this act, this actually felt like it was just trying to position her as the star after coming off of the Miss America. I don't know that it necessarily had to do anything with rehabbing her, um, her like a, a PR wash. I don't even think that that pipeline would even work. But uh, and it, and it, but for her career, it worked right because she ended up having a, a really good uh, career as a singer for quite a while, and then she starred on Ugly Betty, which was um, yeah the peak of uh, my. Uh, relationship with her so <laughs> <laughs> but what um, but what about how about this what about Lonnie Anderson and uh Linda Carter <laughs> I was never I was never a Lonnie Anderson guy even like back in the, when I was a kid like I never was like Lonnie Anderson but obviously I was Linda Carter but yeah I was thought like obviously I mean I'm not saying Lonnie Anderson isn't like she wasn't like hot for her day or anything but just wasn't like my thing so it was, uh, I just, the dynamic between them, I thought just needed, it just needed work. <laughs> I don't know what to say. It was kind of like, it was kind of there, but it wasn't. And I feel like they just needed to work on their characterization a little bit more. Um, 
and to bring something more out than just Linda Carter and Lonnie Anderson walking around the city doing stuff. But I I feel I feel bad like not like saying great stuff. I don't think it was terrible, but I also just kind of I just kind of saw why it only lasted. I think it was like eight episodes or thirteen episodes or something. No, man, don't feel bad. I actually um, sort of am landing around where you landed for this. There's a lot I liked. I'm going to talk about it. Um, but for the most part, you know, I was like, okay, it it's, I think the best way to put it is like you said, I can see why it was only 13 episodes. Um, out of the three shows that we watched, it was probably my least favorite. And it's the one I picked. Um, it just, I, it's funny too, because that episode, they didn't have as much chemistry as they did in the pilot. So I actually watched the pilot and I watched the celebrity one, the one you guys uh, both watched. So mm-hmm. freaking, I, I spent like two and a half hours with, with perfect, I was going to say perfect strangers, uh, partners in crime. Oh man. And in two and a half hours, I probably only got about five minutes worth of cleavage out of that. And oh, I yeah. got to say that. <laughs> That was impressive on their part because I I will say one of the things I think they did a good job of, they didn't like overly sexualize them like and I think they could have and I think it could have gone in a direction that we could all see it going in and a lot of the jokes didn't have anything to do with that and they didn't put them in anything too revealing um, until sort of like they had to get dressed up for like a going out sort of thing and that's when they kind of did it so kind of like it felt natural it didn't feel like they were being sexualized and weirdly (laughs) I was disappointed by that (laughs) and also too I think uh, you know Leo Rossi's character who he's a police detective he's clearly has a crush on Sydney and oh that's a horrible name for a girl I mean, madness, oh, Sydney, madness. a girl's name. <laughs> um, and nowadays I'm like, I would never, I, I, I would kind of flip flop. If, if you said the person's name is Sydney, I might assume, well, you know, what to say, what they say, what about people who assume? Um, but, uh, I, I thought it was like kind of cool. The way they handled that it was very like, it was like, uh, you know, it wasn't over the top, wasn't overly sexualized for, for two women that, I wouldn't say have been exploited, but they're definitely, they've been like, you know, uh, admired for their figures Yeah, and, and this is putting them in a different light. So I give props to the attempt. Um, it was kind of awkward at times. Cause I'm like, man, Linda Carter's character was overly clothed. Like at one point she's, she looks like she's dressed up like Sherlock Holmes yeah. when she's taking pictures <laughs> of, uh, one of the care uh, one of the bad guys. And, I'm like, oh, you're really going for that sleuth look. That that's that's working for you. But um, I mean, for me, I just like seeing, and this kind of is a recurring thread through most of the shows. Um, s- some of these character actors that I that we grew up loving watching in other things and seeing them and like, oh yeah, this is so cool because you know this is where you you cut your teeth when you weren't making movies. It's like go if you're a support if you're a character actor or a supporting actor, you go to TV. To that point, I very much enjoyed Leo Rossi in the first two episodes. Um, He really wasn't in either of them all that much. He wasn't even in the pilot all that much, but I I liked him. I enjoyed, like, his vibe. It's like he walked this razor-thin edge between sleazy and charming, and I was like, ooh, that is... That is a tough act right there, but I, I think he pulled it off. I don't know if later episodes, you know, he trips and falls, but, you know, 
for the two episodes I saw, I thought he did a really good job, and I'm just I dug his vibe. Um, and then I also, oh, you guys didn't see it, but in the pilot episode, um, she gets into Linda Carter's character gets into a little bit of trouble with this because she likes to travel via courier, like free flights via courier. That's kind of like her thing. Um, but someone steals her bags, and the courier company thinks that she did it, so they kind of have her arrested. And the guy, when she gets to the airport, the head of the couriers guy, he's like, you know, he's like, you know, I'm having a bad day. You know, my boyfriend just dumped me this morning and blah, like you. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, I, I was like, that's neat that they kind of it didn't make any pomp and circumstance about it. They just threw it out there. And then I was like, oh, they probably got away with it in their heads because it takes place in San Francisco. And then in Hooperman, we're going to see another oh, a couple gay characters. And I'm like, I'm again, I'm like, I feel like this, you know, being mid 80s, I feel like this is kind of rare. And I think it's because both shows take place in San Francisco. So I think the whole at the time, I'm guessing the whole country was like, there's just so many gays out there in San Francisco that it's OK to put them on TV or something. But I will say in the Partners in Crime episode, he just mentioned it and that was it. Like he wasn't quote unquote flamboyant or anything like that. And I, was, I thought it was positive uh, representation said as a straight white guy. Um, also, you know, <laughs> I love how your, your tone, your tone. Right. I, I had to make sure everyone knows. Um, everybody knows. And then I will say at the end of the, uh, oh my gosh, that was the pilot. Ah, anyways. Yeah, the pilot was really interesting, actually. I thought the pilot was infinitely better than the Celebrities episode. There was a lot more to it, you know, not only just learning about their backstory and kind of, you know, sort of how they kind of put them together and everything. There was also this sort of, they had to do these, the, 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 the will was set up in a certain way where, like, they had to read it in different parts for different people. It was like a whole thing. But I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed the pilot infinitely more than I did the uh, the Vanessa Williams episode, even though it had Billy Drago in it, which was like, Billy Drago! And then he's kind of, he's only in it for like maybe 10, 10, 15 minutes. No, but he's got, uh, I, this isn't spoiling anything. He's got a connection between, he's got a thing for uh, dilapidated like uh, apartment rooms because he's in uh, invasion usa yeah. he has kind of a rundown apartment room and he's same same with this one except in this one he doesn't get his dick and ball shot off <laughs> um but yeah i i enjoyed it overall um i don't think even at 13 episodes and having them all available on youtube i really don't see myself kind of watching anymore uh I, I again i like both lonnie anderson and i like uh, linda carter and i think they're beautiful and you know leah rossi was great but if he's going to be in it as much he, as he was in the second episode which was like five minutes I, I need a minute for more like honestly that would bring me he would bring me back more than they would at this point you should rent uh relentless with judd nelson judd, judd nelson plays a serial killer is that the one where he's cutting leah through Ross the newspaper on the cover yeah, Leo Rossi's the main like detective in that, so he's he's a good guy. You should watch him in that. He's good. Okay, in that. you've you've mentioned that one um, before as well, so maybe we'll cover that on Pad one of these days. Um, yeah, I liked it. Didn't love it. I think I kind of land where Dial landed on it, where it's like, yeah, I, I see why it only lasted thirteen episodes. Um, Dial, any final thoughts on Partners in Crime? Uh, no, like you know, like the idea of it, like it's, I remember when it was uh advertised and there's just i think all they were doing was just kind of like banking on those two 
actresses. The, the sex appeal aspect. Yeah. And like I said, like, and when I actually watched this, I just felt like, yeah, they 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 didn't really add more than just them appearing. So, I which is unfortunate because I think it, you know, kind of has the potential to be a lot more. Also, just that episode that I did watch, I don't know if that was the best example because again, it seemed to be more about trying to do something with Vanessa Williams, and so. She kind of overtook the episode, I think. So, like she had, like you said, she had like three solid song numbers, and like so. I, if I had watched another episode, I might have a different take, but I didn't. So here we are. Well, and and I can say between <laughs> the pilot episode and that episode, they don't like. They also didn't set up the two leads as being some kind of an odd couple scenario. You know, like they're both. It's kind of like they don't really like butt heads or anything. They almost yeah. become friends like quickly. It's like you're missing like having a lot of drama and tension here by making just do some kind of odd couple scenario here, but they don't really do that. And then the characters almost just become sort of interchangeable. And and tonally the show isn't quite a drama, it isn't quite a comedy. You know, it's kind of in that middle area. Um but, you know, it, because it's the 80s and, you know, just like in Hooperman, uh, you know, apparently you just get giant bits of property willed to you in the 80s, which is kind of nice. <laughs> I mean, that I, sounds, that's what everyone complains about boomers, right? Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Zach, uh, any final thoughts on Partners in Crime? Yeah, I just popped in my head now. I think about other shows that feature, like, you know, a, a tag team and, and typically... Um, you know, one maybe overpowers the other. This felt like, at least with the writing and, and the and the way it was, you know, overall the approach to the show, there tried to be a balance in there, giving them equal screen time, giving them their selective moments. Um, Lonnie Anderson seems to be a little bit more, based on the episode we saw, a little more street tough, a little more savvy. Uh, I thought it was funny that, you know, you're talking about San Francisco where it's set. But she interacts with a bunch of people on the street, like playing checkers. And I'm like, is she in New York now? Because they all have New York accents. Right now. <laughs> hey, Sydney. Hey, it's great to see you. Okay, yeah. so you guys didn't get that from the episode you watched. Yeah, Sydney is from the San Francisco streets. That's her backstory. Like she was like a not like a street you know person, but she was like lower, whatever you know. And and she was trying to aspire to be bigger, but that's. You learn that in the pilot episode, and where whereas Linda Carter's character comes from money, but her family sort of ran out of money, so she's kind of has this hoity toitiness to her, but she's actually broke. Although all of that becomes moot once they you know inherit the. So they were trying to like bring them from different areas together, but they kind of the. But because Lonnie Anderson's character was already being was sort of a successful bassist, you know, she's doing a little bit better for herself. And because of Linda Carter's family not having any money anymore, like they kind of just brings them back down to the same level, essentially, and, and thus creating no tension, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, yeah. And yeah. Uh, so the, the, there was a scene where it was opening and I think let, there was something on the table or whatever. And I think I was just starting to get used to what the show was. And it was kind of pulling back, and I imagined that the Lonnie Anderson character was like a slob, like um, Oscar yeah. um, from um, yeah. The Odd Couple, right? And then, but right. then she wasn't. And then I was like, that that would have been like the perfect sort of like yeah, juxtaposition yeah. to Linda Carter's character. 
And they, and that you, what you're talking about actually makes it even make more sense because they added that backstory bit, but she didn't play that really like they like fully. So it's almost like she still wanted to be Lonnie Anderson or one of the directors. I'm not going to say it was like her fault or anything, but it was like she wanted to still be Lonnie Anderson without actually playing the character that she was supposed to be playing. So she looked classy. I did like I no, there was nothing visually that told me that she was from the streets or whatever. There, she, yeah. Well, would you would you guys agree that uh, having her play a a classical stand-up bass versus a, a <laughs> rock and roll bass was probably not the best choice. Yeah. They want to portray her as a little more tough right. and street. No, like, seriously. Why are, like who? Why are you playing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and she's good too, by the way. She, well, you know, her character is. Yeah. It's, it's really silly. At least everyone listening, for if, if you just want to skip to the last 15 minutes of this show or last 20 minutes, that's the best part because you're seeing – you see the the twist, then you see the third act unfold, and you're like, "Oh my god, they're they're this is really amazing, terrible dancing." Yeah, it's, Linda it's, Carter, it's cringy. Is dancing. <laughs> she dances better than Julia Roberts in uh, Leave, I've heard. Yeah, Leave and, the World Behind. Leave that the World Behind. Sure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that is for but that she, is for sure. Do, do they dance as well as Elaine from Seinfeld? <laughs> no one they does. Still, they dance better than Elaine for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a second and say thank you to all of our Patreon members who help support the show. Each month, they get access to The Carpenter Factor, Wrap Up After Dark, and all kinds of other fun exclusive content. You can sign up for our Patreon over at patreon.com slash podcastingafterdark. Again, that's patreon.com slash podcastingafterdark. Other ways you can help support the show and help us grow is leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We also have a merch store where you can pick up a t-shirt or two, as well as some other fun items. You can find every link to our podcatchers, to our merch store, to Patreon, everything at podcastingafterdark.com. That's podcastingafterdark.com. Now back to the show. All right, Diallo, are you ready to talk about the national treasure that was John Ritter in Hooperman? I was born ready. So Hooperman is a lighthearted drama. It is, I took a writing um, course one time and I was told it's not a dramedy, so I'm not allowed to call it a dramedy, but it is called a lighthearted drama television series that aired on ABC from uh, September 23rd, 1987 to July 19th, 1989. Um, John starred John Ritter. Uh, we all know him from the seminal TV classic, Three's a Crowd. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> Problem <He's>, child. <laughs> he starred as a, a SF police inspector, uh, Harry Hooperman. Um, the series was, it was created by the legendary Steven, um, Bocco. is that, how do you say it's Bacho? I think it's Bocco. 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 Yeah. Um, yep. who is probably most famous for cop rock. Yes. Was, you took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> he also did a, a few smaller things that you might not have heard of. They're super obscure. There's one called Hill Street Blues, LA Law, Doogie Howser, NYPD Blue. There actually is one that's uh, no sarcasm, um, uh, more obscure, The Birds of Paradise, which I feel like is something that we could cover on this show. 
at some point and uh, capital critters um uh he uh it was co-created with terry louise fletcher who she was a writer on cagney and lacy one of the main writers on cagney and lacy and she co-created la law also uh, with uh botchko and i think that caused like some rift between them and there was some suing that went on and and they went their separate ways um yeah so the 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 pilot actually won an emmy award a 1988 emmy award for outstanding director directing in a comedy series which is um probably like why i liked the pilot so much actually yeah yeah (laughs) um yeah so cooper it also starred uh deborah ferentino as susan smith she um in the pilot episode you see her um come in at the very end but she is sort of like a main recurring character for the rest of the series and sort of like romantic foil um for uh for john ritter's character um you might know her i know her most from earth 2 um she played devin adair who um the last name adair is actually the name i used for my uh, main one of my main characters in my fantasy novel the first noel um nice Bredane Adair, direct a direct line from Devin Adair in Earth Two. Um, she also played Beverly Barlow um, from Eureka. If you ever watched that, um, I never watched it, but I've I've heard of it. I know it. It was um was that sci-fi or like TBS? Sci-fi? Yeah, okay. It was sci-fi. Yeah, sci-fi. yeah, yeah. It's still like it's it's not far enough away for us to do it yet, but maybe Bodhi when Bodhi takes over the show yeah. at some point. <laughs> He can, when he we can bequeath cover. it to him <laughs> yeah. in our wills, <laughs> he can do he can do Eureka and Warehouse Thirteen and all those those early two thousand shows, right? Um, uh, yeah, so those are the, uh, and also um, uh, Barbara Bosson, she was in Hill Street Blues, Murder One, and she was in The Last Starfighter. Zach yeah. uh, probably knew that. And, yeah, and yeah th- she was the uh, mom. Yeah, she, she was, was the mom. mom. And yeah. don't forget about Felton Perry, dude. He was awesome in this. Yeah, who was that? He was fucking Johnson from RoboCop. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And Clarence Felder, who uh, was the other kind of grizzled-looking thing guy, he was in the movie The Hidden. Um, Oh. So we have to do that on pad. I love that movie. Yeah. That was so good. But he was in The Hidden as well. There were a couple of of characters in the background. It was uh, Joseph uh, Gian, I think his name is. Um, he played, uh, he played like the, the gay cop. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the one that was getting sexually harassed yeah, by his partner yeah, the entire the, time. The entire time. Like I was watching it and saying out loud, like this, this someone call HR. Yeah. Like, <laughs> dude, my whole note, I have a whole note about how she is harassing him every episode. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's kind of interesting because it's like, on one hand, it's sort of like progressive or whatever to, to put him in and, and also, he's like he's not like that quote unquote stereotypical like version TV or movie version of a gay person. Like he kind of reads as like a straight male, right? So there's that. So you know, like kudos. But then there still is that sort of like '80s mentality, I think, where it's like, oh, I can change him, and so she can relentlessly sexually harass him to try to convert him and it's funny right like it's it's supposed to be funny it's, and it's played for laughs but it's yeah not, yeah but like, it's not it's yeah not but funny. it's not funny it's not funny at all yeah um so it is uh what's the only relevant to me one of the one of the neighbors in the hallways uh, the, uh in um the first episode he's in the second episode too and i think he's in the first season is paul link and he played grossman on chips 
um, which yeah. is a show. Very generic. I knew I recognized him. Yeah. I, it was actually funny because I rem- I was watching it. I was like, I know who he is. I know who he is. And I kept remembering him from an episode of Quantum Leap, actually. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, yeah. I remembered watching Quantum Leap, remembering he was on Chips. But then I just forgot about Chips and I remembered Quantum Leap. That's how my brain works. We're all just going to go with it. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, too, Diallo, facial hair changes everything for me back in the day because he had, like, a beard or a mustache in this. And, yeah, he didn't have and any. The, and the... I'm like, wait, why do I know that guy? Who do I... But the minute you take it off, you're like, oh, I know exactly who that is. Yeah. But sometimes that mustache can be very deceiving. Which, you know, so, like, this is a little bit off track, but then it's like, okay, now I understand why Superman can wear glasses and you people might not be able to recognize him. I right? think that's fair. That's yeah. Fair. It's like we spend all this time watching TV and like, I know that guy. I've seen him before. Where did I see him before? You know, so yeah, you can do the same fair. thing with Superman. Uh, <laughs> the theme music, which, you know, is one of my favorite things in the world to think about and talk about and discuss is by the great Mike Post. Yep. I, who, I noticed that in the credits right when I saw yeah. it. I was like, oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah. Like Rockford Files, Hill Street Blues, Law, Law, uh, L.A. Law, Law and Order. Um, Quantum Leap. Oh, Doogie Howser's Silk Stockings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but show that we a show that I actually want to do at some point. Um, Tales of the Gold Monkey. Although I don't know if we can because I think Stephen Stephen Douglas. I think he's he's a persona he's a non asked. persona non grata. But I loved that show when I, I was know, a kid. It's such a bummer. Yeah, uh, Magnum PI. Um, anyways, so. Yeah, the the main episode. Um, so uh, Harry is a uh, police officer. He's a little like rough around the edges. He lives in an apartment complex. The opening episode starts with him um, getting a call to stop a jumper. On his way out, he talks to an old uh, a neighbor downstairs that is a very dear friend of his. Um, he has to head out. Stops the jumper by throwing a watermelon on the ground and showing the jumper what would happen if he actually landed. Um, I recognized the jumper too, but I couldn't. Um, I, I did couldn't too, find and his I looked it up on anywhere. IMDb and I couldn't figure out who he was. Yeah, yeah I know him I from. Think, I think he looks like a lot of guys from things. I, I, guess I could swear he was somebody. Anyways, kind of has like a Matthew Perry vibe to him. Yeah. One, uh, one other thing, uh, Hooperman, when he comes, because he, this is 1987, he comes out of his house and the windows are smashed on his car, right? And he's a cop. And I was just thinking, see, this has happened in San Francisco for far longer than just like the last few years. So San Francisco is fine. It hasn't gone down the tubes. It's been terrible for my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) The same thing happened to me in 2000. My car window was smashed. Uh, This is nothing new. Anyways, um, he saves the jumper, but then he gets to his precinct and there's a call that there's a um, situation near his home and he immediately rushes back finds out that it's his uh, landlady who's his friend who was murdered and then the rest of the story unfolds as they try to solve who um, who uh, killed her um, he gets willed the uh, building so he becomes the owner of the building just like that and um, towards the end of the episode he hires a building manager who uh, discussed earlier is Deborah Ferentino and the second episode, we see some things develop between them, and it's a pretty interesting dynamic for the rest of the show. And that is Hooperman. 
What did you think, Corey? Halfway through the pilot, I was already logging on Amazon to go try and find the DVDs to, to purchase. It looks like uh, Season 2 is a lot easier to get a hold of than Season 1, so I'm going to have to go to eBay. Um, they are all on YouTube, that's you know for sure. But, dude, I loved this. Uh, I obviously grew up watching John Ritter. I loved, loved John Ritter so goddamn much i was a huge threes companies fan as a kid um you know skin deep is fantastic and i was impressed by how well this show rode that line between comedy and drama when he finds out that the lady that the landlady is dead uh, he cries like in fr- in front of Felton Perry. Like he starts mm-hmm. crying, and he's like, and, and you know, no one made fun of him. Like they knew what she meant to him, and he even says she was like a mother to him. Uh, mm-hmm. Made him breakfast like every day, and then at the and I loved like as he was saying that, like he started crying when he said that, and then at the end of the episode, because he also gets the dog too, so they're trying to throw in this like whole levity thing with the dog that he doesn't get along with and everything. And it's great what they do with them in the, <laughs> later in the episode with dogs all farting yeah. and everything. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but like at the end of the episode, in, or I think it was into the, the second episode where he, you know, he's, he's got the, the lady working on it or something. It might've been the first episode. It was the first there. episode. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, he's sitting there, he's, he's trying to talk to the, the dog or he's talking sort of to the landlady being like, Thanks for leaving this to me. I, I, you know, I really appreciate it kind of being sarcastic because it's also he talks about how like owning this thing is going to make him go bankrupt because he can't afford it. But then he just he just starts weeping. And I just I felt it. And I was like, dude, this is like you saw a full range of John Ritter. And I was not expecting that level of emotion to be in any episode, let alone, you know, the first one. Um, so I was really impressed by that. Um, I, I just, yeah, the, the partner, the, the, the gay partner <laughs> with his, his straight, I guess, female cop that, that was so uncomfortable um, and so wrong. But also I, I do like how the show does present the gay, you know, uh, police officer. They don't like make, He's not flamboyant or anything like that. But then, you know, one of John Ritter's uh, neighbors, yeah, is, the neighbors. A, is a little yeah. bit more flamboyant. So it's nice to have more, you know, uh, you know, exposure, to, you know, to different lifestyles and stuff like that. And I, I love that. I love all that kind of stuff. And I but again, my takeaway was after watching Partners in Crime and then this, I was like, it's they got away with quote unquote, they got away with it because it's San Francisco. And I guess it was expected. But I actually thought it made it feel kind of progressive. Um, and then, yeah, it just like, yeah, so many good, you know, character actors and just, I thought everyone did a great job. You know, that old grizzled cop, the the captain. Um, I, I think it was the second episode where, uh, did you guys watch the second episode as yeah. well? Yeah, with the captain and uh, John Ritter in the in the office and there was another crying scene. Yeah. Is that what you're like? Yeah. Yeah, where she kind of comes out, like, because, you know, she's like, I got to be a, uh, a captain, tough as nails, you know, but she closes the door. She kind of confides into John Ritter's character, who they don't seem to get along, but she confides in him that she's getting a divorce and she's upset by it. And I loved how the show tackled these like real emotions and real problems but you know and then John Ritter like wasn't funny during those scenes he did what he was supposed to do and and it was great and then he was funny when he needed to be funny and then the dog farts when it needs to fart and that's great but then you know it's also just as heartwarming in the next scene so 
you know, it's just, you know, if you have, I don't know, NYPD Blue on one hand, Hooperman in the middle, and then Sledgehammer on the other side of the spectrum, like, <laughs> Ho- Hooperman does solidly fit, like, right in the middle. Yeah. 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 I think this pilot is the perfect pilot. Like, it, it, I, that this is a time when uh, shows would be nominated and win Emmys when they rightfully deserve them. And it wasn't just didn't feel like a political power play because this show is perfect to me. I remember watching it as a kid um, because I'm a huge John Ritter fan as well. I mean, we you guys all referenced stuff that uh, you love him in and I do, too. And there was a movie in the early 80s called Hero at Large mm. that he did where he's a superhero. Well, he's like an actor, struggling actor playing a superhero, uh, like dressing up as a, you know, basically like they do for Marvel movies now and at premieres of theaters and stuff like that. I think it's Kevin Bacon's first movie, by the way, too. Um, and he ends up saving someone's life and he becomes a quote unquote real hero. And highly recommend that if you've never seen that movie. But this movie, th- this this show is so good. And he's such a great actor. Um, you know, even stuff that he was in that wasn't all that great, he was always great in. So it's super heartfelt. I got choked up too. Uh, the, the final scene of the episode where he, you know, starts to break down and cry. You really feel it. And it's really sweet. And I love that it's 30 minutes. It's, it's a very like off beat quirky show because I'd say 90% of shows at this time would have been an hour for a quote unquote drama with hints of comedy or, you know, whatever. Um, it, it rides that fine line. I think it's amazing. I thought, Everything about it was great. Uh, one thing I'll point out was there's a they're playing "Gotta Get Up" by Nielsen, Harry Nielsen, in the beginning of the episode, and I'm like, where do I know that song from? Um, the show Russian Doll, which was on oh, yeah. Netflix, used that song in every single episode as a reoccurring Groundhog Day type theme. Uh, yeah, I love that it was set in San Francisco. Like you didn't have to set it in San Francisco, but I love that you did because I think again, typically these shows would be set in New York. And then the inclusion of a, you know, not flamboyant gay character uh, was cool, like stereotypical. And then the the new the neighbor in his apartment building reminded me a little bit of the guy on Kimmy Schmidt. I was about uh, to say yeah. he was like Titus Andromedon's like uh, father or something like that. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. There's like shades of that, and and I think when we get to my show too, uh, you'll. You know, you pick up things that you see on TV or whatever. It's it's all good. It's a form of flattery, right? So, um, yeah, I, I thought it was great. Uh, it is interesting contextually now where we are uh, because I think back in the day, people probably thought, like, the, the female cop trying to turn the gay cop was sweet or, like, endearing, you know? Aw, like, she's got a crush on him. Um, you know, I've been, I've been on the flip side to gay clubs with my gay friends, and they're... I had a friend introducing me to everybody. This is my straight friend, Zach. This is my straight friend, Zach. And one guy goes, straight, straight to my bed. And I'm like, well, no, no, I'm good. He's like, look, honey, I got a lot of money and the drinks are really strong. We're going to have a good time tonight. I'm like, okay, oh, my. Oh, my, Captain. Oh, my. So, you know, I think in, what, 1987, Diallo, you said? What, yeah. What a, like, uh, kind of ahead of its time show. And... Stephen Botchko, like he took risks, right? You mentioned yeah. uh, Cop Rock. Yeah. That was a huge risk. And, you know, hats off to the dude for getting that show made because I think most people would be like, a cop musical show? 
ridiculous. Whether it worked or not, it's here nor there. The fact that he got it made is awesome. Yeah, no, that's always been my feelings on Cop Rock. It's like, yes, we all it's a joke to all of us. We all agree it's a joke. But it's also impressive that he was able to actually do it. And also, too, try something different. Fuck it. Like, everything is so, especially nowadays, so safe and the same that maybe we need a Cop Rock, like, you know, these days. Um, yeah, you could do it now. I mean, there's so much freaking content now. It's like, I'm surprised it hasn't been done. Right. And I just got to say, because there's going to be a, a Seinfeld reference in uh, Max Monroe. Uh, I do <laughs> want to say that there was a Seinfeld character in this episode, although I won't say where he is in the pilot. You'll, you'll have to find out, but it's from the, uh, the history. He was in the episode of Seinfeld called the fatigues. And if you've seen Seinfeld and you know that episode, you can probably figure out who I'm talking about. Cause he was pretty, uh, pretty prominent in that episode but um my final thoughts on this i i said it at the very beginning like halfway through the first episode like 15 minutes in i was i was already trying to find it on dvd because i'm such a sucker for the down and out police detective as well and the episode the pilot starts with like him waking up like on his shitty ass you know mattress on the floor he rolls over and starts doing push-ups he does like two and then he like makes himself like coffee by pouring in like half a thing of Folgers into like a a beer mug and then (laughs) filling it with water, putting ice cubes in there, stirring it with his finger and then just chugging it. And I'm like, I love this kind of shit. I love police detectives that are just, that are like this. And, uh, but he's more than that. And that's what I, I was expecting him to be one way. And then he's very in touch with his emotions. And I, I thought that was so refreshing to see him cry like that on, on screen. And it, they lingered too. Like they didn't like just fade after like 10 seconds, you know, they kept the camera on him. And even the dog was like licking his face. It was just, it was good, man. It was a damn good episode. And I can see why it won an Emmy. Uh, Diallo final thoughts on Hooperman. Yeah, you know, again, I I remember actually watching it when I was in I was in high school at the time, and um, again, the, this kind of show wasn't really in my sphere of things I normally would watch, but I remember watching it, being like, oh man, I really liked that, you know, um, and yeah, a little a little slightly political commentary, but it, it always bugs me when people today complain about you know they they say this is woke or that is woke right and they because they're complaining as though some of these things are new right like why are you putting this this gay character in why are you putting this uh black character in why and you know i'm always like did you like it but that same person might like quantum leap which if you go back and watch quantum leap that was one of the wokest shows that has ever existed right so i'm watching this show in 19 that came out in 1987 and you have like unheard of just having a gay character that like just having a gay character at all but then also having a gay character that wasn't like flamboyant um man my man was just living his life (laughs) he was just doing his job and that was it right that was like as you should like as you should be right um you had um you had this cop character in the second episode he actually talks about how he's not the model of masculinity um, he doesn't go around shooting people. He talks about how um, he had to pull his gun on somebody and the impact that that has on him and 
you see him cry in the first episode, you see him cry in the second episode, and it's not a thing that is made to look him weak, but you, um, it, the first episode is something that makes him endearing um, because he's very human, but in the second episode, it almost in a certain way makes him stronger as a way to connect with the captain. This show, these ideas are nothing new. They are very human, and um, it was kind of like a, a re. It, uh, it sort of like reawoke me to this idea that even in 1987, all of these things existed. That it's not like it's not from some agenda that somebody came up with two weeks ago. It's something that's been going on and on and on and on. So. I was really happy to watch it. I loved this show. I felt like it could still be on today. Like maybe in some ways it was well ahead of its time. I mean, it lasted for two seasons, but it kind of has all this makeup that I feel like it could actually thrive more today than it did back then. And well, all the things you just talked about is what helped make it feel contemporary and and not of its time. And I almost kind of maybe feel like at that time, that might have been to its detriment. And I, I just, I think about someone who would be watching it, like maybe my father. And right. he'd be like, oh, why is this cop crying? And I think my dad would probably be more like that one cop, the older grizzled cop. He would, mm-hmm. That guy was was even like, I think it was in the second episode, he's like, oh, I remember when cops were cops and there were no, yeah. you know, no, I think he said flamers or something, you know, implying the gay, you know, gay people. Uh-huh. And then he was like, no women were cops and cops were men and no one cried. And I'm like, I feel like that is a lot of people probably watching cop shows probably feel that way. And my dad probably would have as well. And it, I kind of feel like that might've been the reason this only lasted, uh, you know, two seasons. Um, now both of these shows, technically all three of them, I had never even heard of and uh, i might have misspoke on the the partners in crime one that was 1984 um i was born in 78 so i was only six when that came out um so of course i'm not going to know that one this one came out in 87 i was born in 88 so i was nine when this one came out um I don't know, you know, you're nine. You don't know why you don't know things exist. You just, you don't, usually a lot of times at that age, if your parents aren't watching it, you're probably, you don't know it exists. Um, Or was I watching Fox at that point? Uh, When did Fox start? Fox came out in 87, so, okay, 86, 87. Okay, and I was a big Fox kid, so I think I was just glued to Fox probably the entire time. So, but yeah, Hooperman, I agree with you, Dallow. I think this could actually hold up well today, although I don't, I honestly don't think this could be I wouldn't want to see it rebooted because I do think a lot of the DNA of the show and what makes it good is John Ritter. I think he mm-hmm. is exceptional in what I saw with him in, you know, in this. Yeah, you know, I mean we it's like we love John Ritter obviously, but you know, I mostly know him from Three's a Crowd. <laughs> no, but uh, you know, we we know him as the comedic genius, right? And you know, I've seen him in other things, but watching him in this really showed me how great an actor he actually really was. It just the sort of like the effortless execution of yeah, he just was present and uh, just it was he was so good. And I God, I miss that guy. I just yeah, the sincerity. 
yeah always came across yeah it just was so good and i and especially yeah, since I, we sort of knew him as a physical he's like three's company and three's a crowd he's he's very he's like such a physical comedy guy like he does a yeah. lot of goofy physical stuff and his hair gets all crazy now in the pilot they have a fun little when the water yeah. gets shut off and it's, he's washing his hair and it's all big <laughs> and everything but that's kind of the extent of sort of the funny look at me i'm funny sort of physical comedy there was there the rest of it there was more like vocal comedy you know when it yeah. did happen but i don't think a lot of the comedy even came from john ritter mostly it comes from yeah. the dog farting yeah yeah <laughs> yeah we get that that's why he's so great and like yeah. it, it just like as a reminder that yeah he just he was a he, he was a and you know i actually i used to watch the show that he had it was like his comeback show it was a uh, the um when he that he passed on yeah um yeah and it was actually it was actually a really it was a really good show and so he got a chance to shine again but you know um life life be life and so life be life and uh zach final thoughts on hooperman man Hooperman, nothing more to add (laughs) nothing more to add to it it's a great show and everybody should watch it it's all the episodes are on youtube so to go check it out it's way ahead of its time it's beautiful show for, with a beautiful lead actor, Spotlight. There you go. Couldn't have said it better myself. How are you doing, buddy? You okay? Oh, let's keep going. <laughs> Zach's just like, yeah, Zach, just keep going, guys. Just keep going. <laughs> this is this is Zach's uh, flu game, like Michael Jordan <laughs> back, in the, back in now. I'm like, of course, my of course, mine has to be the last episode. So I gotta. <laughs> I'm sorry, Turn buddy. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> Zach, while you still have the energy, why don't you take us into Max Monroe Loose Cannon? Hey, everybody, Corey here. I just want to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey, everybody. I'm Tim. And I'm Dean. And we're the hosts of Talking Back. We're a retro-based podcast covering movies, comics, video games, and more. Check us out every Monday where we hit the rewind button and dig into some of our favorite content from the past. We like to keep things fun, lighthearted, and informative. Do you feel like you need more nostalgia in your life? then check out Talking Back. We're available everywhere podcasts are found. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV, and music, to slang, food, and fashion, you're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. And now, back to the show. Does that sound familiar to you? Because that theme song for Max Monroe is by the band Yellow, who, of course, did Ferris Bueller's oh, Day Off, Uncle yeah. Buck, uh, Count Secret of My Success, countless 80s movies. Uh, and and they were a synth pop duo from like Germany or Denmark or something like that. Anyways, um, that was the big kind of hook for this show. But Max Monroe is a CBS show that, aired from January 5th 
to April 19th in 1990. Um... It starred Shadow Stevens. Most people will recognize his voice. Uh, he was the voice of America's top 40 on the radio. He did. He was the center square, I think, for many seasons of Hollywood Squares. Uh, he's in a great, I, well, a fun cult film called Tracks from the, I think, late 80s, T-R-A-X-X, um, where he's like, it's, it's just, it's a wacky film. You got to go check it out. I think you can find it on YouTube as well for free. Uh, Bruce Young, who I think a lot of people will recognize from uh, Basic Instinct, good supporting actor, has been in you know countless uh, well-known movies like Risky Business and Jurassic Park Three and et cetera, et cetera. Um, he plays Max Monroe's partner. Um, well, be- I'm a little bit ahead of myself before I get to any of that. This show was produced by Dean Hargrove and Fred Silverman. If those names sound familiar, their track record is pretty outstanding. Uh, My Three Sons, The Man from Uncle, Columbo, uh, Perry Mason, Matlock, Jake and the Fat Man, etc., etc. Just keeps going until Murder 101, I think, was the last show that they... I think they, the two of them worked on it together, but at least Dean Hargrove did. Um, Don't forget uh, was, McBride Fallen Idol with John Larroquette. Well, there you go. Yeah. And so this show lasted for eight episodes on CBS. Um, this was one of their duds. You know, the, these shows come out and it's at a week time of the year where they test it out and it doesn't do well. And then it gets yanked and you never hear from it again. Shadow Stevens was, like I said, more known for his voice. And then this was his show. He played Max Monroe, who's a Kind of a rough and tumble cop, a cop that plays by his own rules. It's very cliche. If we hadn't seen it prior to this, we've seen it many times later. I feel like in some ways this is a precursor to Nash Bridges. Uh, There's your San Francisco connection. Because it's got hot cars and it's got good hair on the leading actor. And uh, maybe the better supporting actor with Cheech Marin. Well, not better, just like a fun kind of counterpart to the you know, uh, wisecracking lead. And Bruce Young is like, you know, the, the, the guy who tries to Max Monroe puts Bruce Young's character, Charles Ivers in sticky situations, uh, consistently in these episodes, Charles is having to dress up or go undercover either in drag or in this case with the episode we're going to talk about tonight, ransom, uh, disguising himself as Tony Todd. So, (laughs) This show, um, the, the pilot is not available online. This is technically the fourth episode out of the eight that aired. Uh, there are There's like a pilot and then it's a two-part pilot and then one more episode after that. I actually have those on VHS. <laughs> I still have my VHS tape of SLP, you know, when you stretch the tape out to six hours and it's got a bunch of stuff on it. I have about four or five episodes of Max Monroe on this tape. Um, Max Monroe, he's an L.A. cop, and so there's a lot of fun, especially if you live down in Los Angeles or Santa Monica, there's a lot of great uh, moments in this episode that we watched, The Ransom, uh, where you see, like, you know, Third, not Third Street Promenade, but you see hotels right down by the beach. And you're like, I know exactly where that is. Yeah, there's you know, a shot with them on the bluffs uh, sitting out look, overlooking on Ocean Boulevard. Right. If you've ever been to Santa Monica, you'll recognize a lot of these places. Um, but the premise of this episode is uh, 
Max Monroe goes to Detroit. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I forgot that this was also set in Detroit. Yeah, because when I saw that come up, the Detroit part, I was like, what? I was like, Zach, I thought this was all California stuff. And yeah, yeah. it's only Detroit for a second. But I was yeah. like, I was like, oh, Zach, you love your Detroit <laughs> stuff, too. <laughs> it's got Detroit. It's got Los Angeles. It's got Santa Monica. It's got neon. It's got hot cars. It's got big hair. It's got everything that I want. And it's got a great theme song, too. Yeah. Uh, but the, the premise of this episode is a mobster uh, kidnaps a key witness, Tony Todd, and Max has to locate him in the meantime uh, he's got to basically thwart these three thugs that uh, have kidnapped Tony Todd's character. Tony Todd isn't even Tony listed Todd, by the in way, the credits is... on this episode, by the way, yeah. on IMDb. Yeah Tony, Todd's not, yeah, Tony Todd's not listed in this. Uh, neither is Shannon Tweed, who's also, yeah. who also has a uh, uh, kind of surprise appearance in this episode. But Max Monroe, it, it's, it's very, like, run-of-the-mill. Um, but Shadow Stevens was kind of like a unique person to see as a leading actor uh maybe in the same way that like david rashi was somewhat unique seeing him play sledgehammer like a a silly guy uh but he still kind of had an edge to him too where he could be cool and i thought he was cool um i mean i love this show simply because i love shadow stevens i i kind of in many ways wanted to be shadow stevens as a kid he was a he's a he was the narrator on the tick uh he's got a pretty (laughs) yeah he's got a a pretty extensive voiceover career um and he just never hit it big as a on-screen actor he was also on that show with um harry what's his face from night court where it was like dear dave oh yeah 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 uh, yeah i think it's just called dave's yeah i know what you're talking about dave's world dave's world right because it's based on a comic yeah uh saturday morning comic uh, was it a fox show no, it was a CBS show. CBS show. But he was the um, he was the like supporting actor on that show, which was cool because you know he he got like a second lease on life. He just never hit it as a leading actor. So it, really quickly, just a segue. He was on Dave's. It was Dave's World. Uh, he was on ninety eight episodes of Dave's World with Harry Anderson. So was he doing yeah. voiceover on that, or was he actually on it? No, he's like the buddy okay. on that show. Okay, he's the buddy on the show. So, anyways. Uh, I'll let you guys kind of get into it. Diallo, what are your thoughts on Max Monroe, Loose Cannon? Well, I loved seeing Tony Todd. Yes, dude. That was great. And, and, and this is right around the time he's uh, did Night of the Living Dead. Like, he's a freaking movie actor in 1990. Yes. Yeah, he was He was great. I was uh, That took me back because I, you know, I started hearing him being Klingons and horror people and it was great um love the guy uh bruce young also that was really cool for me too um because i I kept watching us like i recognize him from something i recognize him from something he was on a couple episodes of highlander the series (laughs) i really remember that's right yeah (laughs) um and he also was on er um, not the ER with George Clooney, but the ER with George Clooney. <laughs> yeah, the first ER. Yeah, we're gonna have to bring that to the table when yeah. we do hospital. Yeah, episodes. yeah, um, yeah. So th- th- that was great. I I love him, and um, he was also just super randomly. I actually really like Jurassic Park three, and um, I know a lot of people don't, but I really like it, and he was in that also. Um, that is about all I liked. About- <laughs> <laughs> 
about this. I never really understood Shadow Stevens, like ever. And um, it, they, well, it that's always clearly more. Most people didn't. Because yeah, that's why he didn't have a career. When I was kind of, it was like I kind of always felt like I at a certain point I was he was being pushed on well, the public, you know, to like you we we they were we were trying to be inceptioned. Um, for him to have a career like him and um, Joe, uh, as who's it? Joe Esposito. What's Joe Piscopo? Name? Joe Piscopo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I felt like yeah. Like at, at a certain point, I felt like <laughs> we were supposed to like. No, you're supposed to accept him. Like guys, he's supposed to be a thing, and it just never was a thing. We talked about that on our Dead Heat episode. It's like how how society tried to force Joe Piscopo down our throats. Yeah, <laughs> hey, he, he does have his moments, though. He's pretty yeah. damn funny when he was on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, but anyway, and so that kind of like that that when I was watching this, that I had a little bit of that feeling of like, oh, this was in that era when they were like trying to make him a thing, and he never really was. I, you know, I thought it was fine. I, I was more critical of it than, than I think, um, I was enjoying it. Um, it just felt a little too, like, I don't know, the music, the, the music was like, kind of like overpowering in the background. It was like constant in that it was like constant nineties and like, it just never let up. Um, and he, I didn't really buy him being like, you know, the the loose cannon. Like he just it seemed like everybody else was more loose cannon than he was, but he was the one that kept stepping up and and, and jumping into situations that I just wasn't. He I wasn't, wasn't loose cannon. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't really buying it. So I I I you know, it was it was okay. <laughs> um but I yeah, I just I feel like it was another one where it, it probably could have used a little bit more workshopping uh, to get to figure out the character a little bit more than what it was. So that's my unfortunate <laughs> review. Well, I will I will say there's before Corey jumps in. There's one moment in this episode. Well, actually, two moments in this episode where he's he doesn't he goes off book as far as like not what a typical cop would do. There's a chase scene through the uh, yeah. airport at one point that's pr- supposed to make him look a little radical. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a moment where there's a shooting range where he has a character at the shooting range that he uh, threatens to, you know, basically get killed. And that sets up his like hothead style, but he's not a hothead. He's, he's, he's a cool cucumber. Well, that was the part that I wasn't buying though. I'm I'm sorry. So it's like he was like he was grabbing the guy and pushing him through the firing range and he was asking him questions. But then like to scare him, he was shooting the targets. And so I was like, well, why is that scary? Whatever. And then but then it got scary when he put him behind the targets. And I got that part. But I just never I just don't buy Shadow Stevens just physically as like I know I know he was like acting that way but i just didn't buy it is what i'm saying so it just yeah. and, it, and it kind of for me it just tracked again to like it was in that era where they were trying to make him a thing rather than him being a thing and a little bit like that a little bit like partners in crime it was more like they were kind of begging off the two actresses rather than them playing characters and so i think that's why i like shadow stevens back then because i'm like i don't see this guy as a leading man yet they're making him a leading man like that's to me, that was 
different. And, and I was like, Oh, I, I kind of like that. That's why I liked it. Cause it just didn't fit the mold, you know, uh, where Don Johnson clearly fit the Nash bridges mold when they, they did workshop this and they came out with Nash bridges 10 years later. So basically I didn't or like five years later. I never watched the Nash bridges. <laughs> Corey, what's your thoughts on <laughs> Max Monroe, loose cannon? Max Monroe. I, I have a lot. I actually have a lot more thoughts on this show than any other show. Um, but I kind of, I think I'm going to land a little bit closer on Zach's side on this one. Um, and it was because, yeah, I, I didn't like. I was kind of shocked by Sha- Shadow Stevens. I was like, I was like, I'm not. But well, actually, let me roll something back real quick. A couple things. One, this was the show that I was, I was probably not. You know, I'm not not looking forward to watching it, but was like least interested in going into it because I wanted to watch, you know, uh, Linda Carter and Lonnie Anderson, my pick. I wanted to watch uh, John Ritter with, you know, Zach uh, Diallo's pick. Um, and I didn't know anything about this one, but I was like, you know, sure, I, I will watch it and everything. So I kind of didn't have any ex- expectations going into it or anything like that. Uh, and then Shadow Stevens comes on screen and I see his name and it like. I get this giant lightning bolt because I realize I've heard um, his name mentioned so much in my childhood. I, I think my stepdad might have liked him or something like that because I'd always heard the name Shadow Stevens, but I had no clue who we, what he looked like. I had no clue who he was. And then all of a sudden, you know, he the name pops up and I'm flooded, you know, from like my childhood. I'm like, oh, my God, this is a name that I've heard, you know, so much about. And then, you know, he's 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 interesting on the show. I, I wasn't really I wasn't put off by him, but he definitely plays it like a little bit cool, but also a little bit goofy occasionally, like when he's trying to get his partner to come out of, um, you know, uh, uh, not hiding. He was kind of on vacation and he was kind of doing this yeah. thing in the library and, you know, like, OK, he's, he's he's got a little goofy side to him and everything. And he kind of has an, he's got an interesting look about him. And so I think I kind of fall more into your category, Zach, where I'm like, he's, it's kind of interesting seeing him, you know, lead a show like this. Um, but then like the rest of the episode, I was like more excited about the fact that Tony Todd was in it. And I'm like, holy shit. I mean, this is Night of the Living Dead remake, Tony Todd. This is 1990. Uh, he looks fan fucking tastic. He has a great presence. Although I'm like, that motherfucker's a movie star. He should be on the movie screen and not on the TV screen right now. Cause he's a fucking right. movie star agreed and, and tony todd will always be a fucking movie star to me um love that man um also seeing a young ray abruzzo was i was like i was like you know i'm kind of squinting because you know the quality's not that great on youtube and i'm like that, that asshole looks familiar and yeah he's like sopranos and stuff like that but he looked really young and kind of hunky in this and i was like okay cool but the main bad guy is another Seinfeld alumni, also a horror alumni. It's Sherman Howard, who plays Bub the Zombie in my favorite George Romero zombie movie, Day of the Dead. He was also one of Elaine's uh, boyfriends that was in the hospital in the Junior Mint episode, um, where the Junior Mint goes inside of him. (laughs) I was like, oh my fucking God, it's Sherman Howard. So, you know, that was awesome to see. It was a fun, fun 45 minutes. Like, it was it was a hoot. I 
thought I was watching the pilot, to be honest with you. I thought this was the pilot, um, which is why I was like, oh, is his partner is his partner Ray uh, uh, Bruzo at first? And then, you know, he's going to no. is his regular partner was just on vacation for the first half of the episode, um, you know, but all the silliness of of like 90s, early 90s, you know, TV shows late 80s stuff it's it's all there in the best way possible you know i uh, like zach said awesome hair awesome cars you know like over the top villains you know i just i i liked what they were doing with it um especially because i wasn't you know it wasn't the one i was looking forward to the most to watch now that being said i think hooperman's my favorite out of all three of them but this one's definitely my second favorite uh you know partisan crime is definitely going to be be on the bottom of it for me did you guys think that the um uh, like a uh, courtroom assassin's gun looked a lot like megatron yes um, yes it did <laughs> <laughs> that and and i think this might be i, I could be wrong uh, probably am but i'm just gonna say i'm not uh this could be the first time you hear what a california breakfast is which is grilled radicchio <laughs> goat cheese and avocado toast i believe this may be the first time you've heard avocado toast uh ever and now it's like, you know, with the, what, five, ten years ago, avocado toast was everywhere in California. Oh, my God, it's the greatest thing. You're, you're, like, not, making, for a... you're not making me eat that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, that's I, what she said. Literally. That. Yeah, that's right? what she said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that line. Um, and then, yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to echo what both of you say. This show is you watch it and you're like, yeah, it's it's cliche or it's this or that. But then you can go, oh, also, like, the, the, I like the attempt. I mean, I don't know why, but just these kind of shows really appealed to me as a kid. Um, you know, like the, the first ep- first show I ever picked for this TV Obscura was The Hat Squad, I believe. And I think that was at the same time this that came out. And that lasted maybe a couple episodes more than this one. Um, it's just a vibe. The cliches aren't bad, though, like all the time. Like, yeah. like, I, like I said on, on the Hooperman episode, I will always be a sucker for the down and out police detective. I, I, I love that trope and it's a trope. It's a cliche, but I never get tired of it. And, and I also, I mean, I grew up watching police shows with my dad. So I like all variations of police shows, maybe not cop rock, but I appreciate that it existed at one point. But, um, you know, I used to watch NYPD blue and all this kind of stuff. I used to watch Hill street blues. Um, all that, all those shows. Um, oh shit, I forgot. The, what was the one with Raymond Toya? Uh, shit. What was it? Um, anyways, it doesn't matter. So I don't mind the cliche, man. Like, and, and what breaks the cliche is that shadow Stevens is not your typical sort of, leading man type of vibe he's got this weird quirky x factor to him that i i dug so I, to me that's what made it sort of different i i gotta say and maybe it was just the episode because he didn't get a lot of screen time his partner I, I didn't even see why he was in the show but i think it's probably the episode that i watched what well, from based on my recollection uh because i pretty much watched every episode of this show when it came out again i i it's the shadow factor. I think maybe I liked his name. I'm like, Oh, shadow's a cool name. Maybe that's why I have no idea. But now watching it, I'm like, again, it's just, he's different. I don't think his character is, is he's, he's really, uh, he's not like 
support he's less than supporting you know what i mean they don't pop up through the it's really the shadow stevens show uh just like sunny spoon was you know mario van people's show and i think those came out the same time too but to diallo's point I do agree he wasn't that much of a loose cannon. He kind of played things pretty straightforward. He chased a guy when he had to chase a guy. Guy was in drag. Um, you know, he he you know, he, he he was clever when he put the the tracking device in his watch versus in the, you know, the money bag and all this kind of stuff. It was actually somebody else who let the fake cops in, you know, when when they got like sort of ambushed and everything. So I was like maybe Maybe he just needed to be more loose cannony, and it would have, you know, maybe propelled it. But as it stands, I don't think it really deserved the moniker of, you know, colon loose cannon because he wasn't. I mean, sledgehammer. Now that's yeah, a loose cannon. I literally was thinking sledgehammer was <laughs> was a loose cannon. This also came out. What year was this? 1990. Yeah, so it was, um, they'd already had two uh, Lethal Weapon movies that uh, Martin Riggs is a loose cannon. Yeah, Martin Riggs is the, the quintessential loose cannon. Yes. Yeah, and this guy, like you said, Corey, he just, he was mostly doing his job, like, like oh, okay, you walked into the courtroom and you uh, were talking loudly. Like, okay, like, that's whatever. Like, we that's kind of like standard movie tv stuff for a main character so i was not impressed i also have like a little (laughs) i don't i don't want to i kind of don't want to take it here and it was probably just the episode itself but i don't know if you noticed i'm black and i noticed that the, the on one hand there were a lot of black characters in the episode which i found like i was like oh that's cool but that was also a little bit of why i wasn't impressed by him because it was sort of like there were all these other people that were a lot, had like a lot stronger personalities around him, but he, he like was, Tony Todd, yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, like Tony Todd. But then he was the one, like he was just jumping into action and doing all this stuff and everybody stepped back and I just wasn't buying it. And I, again, probably just the episode, like the, re- the other episodes probably didn't have that because, you know, probably didn't have that dynamic that they had, but I just, I, it was just something I noticed and. I'm probably a little bit more sensitive to it than other people um, that are watching things. So. Well, what about the fact that the hitman mistook his partner yeah. for Tony yeah, Todd? Yeah, like, and I'm like, I'm like, they don't even look the yeah, same. But yeah, you know, yeah. to the hitman, it was ah, all, all black people look the same, so I'm just gonna take this yeah, shot. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, but that's not Tony Todd. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, that's, <laughs> that's sorry. That's not that's not movie star. Tony Todd. <laughs> wait, wait till you see him uh, dress up as a woman, and then they think that he's a woman. But he's, but he's built, but he's built like you know, brick shit house. That guy is one big dude. Yeah. So did you guys notice? Did you guys notice the one moment, the one scene where they're all in the hotel room and everybody leaves except for the new partner at the time and he just stands there literally for like almost five <laughs> seconds yeah. and he and like looks at his feet <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that to me was the funniest part of this episode yeah, that, that was good that was good but yeah but even, even with the, the negatives you know i i actually still found myself very much enjoying the show like the fact that he wasn't a loose cannon didn't turn me off i'm just like guys don't bill him as a loose cannon and and the show be i think better i think our expectations would be better but i still overall enjoyed myself with it because it moved very fast i thought like pacing wise 
it didn't, you know, get lost in the minutiae of crime crime work or police work and stuff. It, it just, it kind of cuts right to the action and the chase. And, uh, and when they do eventually have to do, like, this exchange in Santa Monica over on the, uh, over by the, uh, the cliffs and everything, I was like, I think I used to smoke weed over right exactly where they are filming right there. <laughs> and Diallo's like, that's where I put all my boops. That's all my boops. Yeah, are. literally. Yeah, that's where you go film your boops was, at. Yeah. yeah, literally did that last week from up there. <laughs> Um, I, and I, I will say in defense of the show, I, um, one thing that I, I'm holding against it, but it's not the show's fault at all was the quality on YouTube. So that actually really, I think that really did have an effect because I, I was watching it on my TV and it was so pixelated. It just was really hard. Like, you know, I, 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 I wasn't the whole time. I wasn't like this, I, this is terrible quality, you know, but I just. I wasn't able to like really get into it like the way that I like would if I could actually see a lot of things more clearly. So, that, well, and uh, I maybe that was the hitman's excuse. Yeah, that I, actually, I actually thought that. I was like, at least I can't barely see. So, <laughs> and yeah, and I, I want to point out too. Uh, I had wanted to bring this to TV Obscura earlier in the year, uh, or maybe like last year, but it was not available, and until I found it fairly recently within the last few months mm. it popped back up so whoever uploaded it that's great because it's it's one of those shows that's just very hard to come by um but yet someone had a and this this is like a v it's like my yeah. vhs yeah copy. it was a vhs you could see the lines and in, in yes, right. certain part and it was uh it was some tv station out of pennsylvania right. yeah, yeah which is always hilarious yeah. i love that when you see the little thing I was also going to point out really quickly that some of the actors that show up on this show are uh, Ken Foray. Yeah, I saw that. And uh, Branscombe Richmond. I saw uh, that too. And William Atherton. So, you know, some fun, uh, you know, supporting actors show up on this show. And speaking of, you know, what's on YouTube and everything, um, guys and gals, as per usual, I posted the links to all three of these shows on Patreon. If you're listening to this on the free feed, I always make those posts free. So you can just go to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash podcasting after dark, patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. And you can click on the links. You can actually read the post without being a member. So go check that out. Um, But I don't know how long the links will be active because a lot of times I'll go back through older watch lists or something and they'll be gone. Like uh, right. the, 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 the werewolf uh, one that I posted back in the day that had like, I think it was a playlist and had everything they're gone now. So, um, yeah. and then I've seen a few other of our TV Obscura watch lists are just, you know, it's just that gray screen, you know, when the link doesn't work. So guys and gals go check this out. Um, if you can, uh, all of them, hopefully they'll still be up by the time um, you listen to this. Uh, and if not, I apologize. Nothing we can do about that. So, uh, Diallo, lead us into a final discussion on all three of these shows. Uh, final thoughts on all of them. Well, I'm still stuck on season three of The Highlander because they pulled that playlist down. So that's really upsetting ah. to me. Uh, <laughs> Highlander, the series. Uh, yeah, so How I... How dare they? <laughs> yeah, seriously. I was really getting into it. I love the show. Um, so, yeah, the I... I, if I were to rank these, Hooperman is number one, but not just in terms of these shows, but I think Hooperman is actually, now that I rewatch this in my adult life, it actually, I'm going to continue to watch the show. And it is starting to rank up there in terms of like, just in terms of these first two episodes anyways, like one of the better shows 
that I've seen. So, um, and then I would put Partners of Crime second, and then uh, Max Payne, whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever his show is. Max Monroe, name. loose cannon. <laughs> Colin, I'm can. so sorry, Zach. I know Zach has Zach has his heroes, and I just I don't I don't mean to like I don't mean to like you know to. Tear, oh, I tear it, it never sways me. I, I I don't I don't bend for what I, my likes are. Yeah, just, no, it's not it's not about like bending you, but you know I care about how you feel, and so you know we're still hey, buddies. Nostalgia gonna, is one hell of a drug. I still know? I'll still hug you next time I see you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it actually was, I really loved watching, uh, seeing the old skyline of San Francisco. And um, that was really fun because uh, Sales yeah. Tower sucks. And um, it was just, I don't know, that was cool. There was like a, in Hooperman, there was a uh, an old like uh, Coca-Cola sign that I just remember seeing all the time driving through and that was still there. So that be- Didn't that fun. become the Yahoo sign? Yeah, yeah, it did. It did, it's yeah, true. Yeah, because there's no way you can fake like... Like, you have to shoot in San Francisco. Like, you can't fake that, you know, yeah. with the hills and everything. So it was really nice to actually, you know, I'm sure they probably did double duty L.A., San Francisco, and everything for the seasons. But it was really nice to see them in San Francisco. Yeah, like Monk did that, where it was, like, in San Francisco, but they filmed it all in L.A. mostly. <laughs> yeah, like Marina <laughs> did, Del Rey yeah, or yeah, some Yeah, did some, did some shots in San Francisco. But, yeah, this was definitely at least those first – Two episodes in um, Partners of Crime also definitely was in San Francisco. So that was really yeah, cool. Yeah, Noe to see. Valley. I think the the concert, like one of the things, looks like it took place in Noe Valley. Yeah, yeah. Knob Hill, Knob Hill. That's what it was. Yeah. So that was cool. And uh, Max Payne could have been in San Francisco too. It could have did. It became Nash Bridges. So. It became Nash Bridges. <laughs> Max, Max Monroe uh, crawled so that uh, Nash Bridges could run. Thank you, uh, Zach. Uh, thoughts? Final thoughts on all three of them? Yeah, I I think uh, you can't put Hooperman in the same category because it's 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 like an exceptional show. Clearly, it lasted two seasons, and back then, two seasons was kind of a lot for a show to last that long. Um, you know, Max Monroe is especially an offbeat show like that one. Exactly. Yeah. Max Monroe is just a fun, nostalgic trip for me. Um, it brings back all the feels. It reminds me of, you know, being 14 and, and like being in awe of certain why I idealized certain people. I have no idea, but I did. I just thought it was cool. I wanted that hair. And uh, I'm starting to get it now. You still gray. have it. You have it now. I, like, yeah, yeah, I, I'm have I have it now. It's gray, yeah. but you know, I'll take it. Uh, you got and the ways. Part- yeah, right. Partners in crime was, you know, I, I would say it felt like a CBS show to me. Uh, like, like I said, it would, would have been perfectly uh, bookended with murder. She wrote um, or like Cagney and Lacey or something like that. But, um, but it still was fun to watch and also kind of like, see, you know, what was the appeal of Lonnie Anderson and Linda Carter. This may sound bad, but I'm, I'm being serious. Like what was their appeal when they had more clothes on? Like, you know, they when, cause they were billed as kind of sexy symbols back in the day. And then when you take that sexy side away, like, are they still f- fun to watch on screen? Uh, you know, it's neither here nor there. I'd have to watch more of the show to kind of figure that out. But it is an interesting question. You know, like uh, John Allen, uh, John Eric Hexum, the, the hunky guy from Voyagers and Cover Girl. You know, it's like when that guy's not taking his shirt off, is he still 
a good actor. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, like the this, it goes both ways. It doesn't just go for for women. There's plenty of men that were, you know, Tom Selleck is a perfect example of a dude that was a great actor, but also a sexy guy. So you know, David Hasselhoff, not that great of an actor, but he was on great shows like you know, Knight Rider, whatever. Anyways, uh, Max Monroe, I love. I'll die by that sword any day. Uh, and Hooperman is just Hooperman's is class. It's that show will go down in history as as like a, you know, a, as a discovered undiscovered gem. I think because I guarantee you, this generation has no clue what Hooperman is. And it occurs to me, dude, we saw uh, Linda Carter in Hawkeye, right? Yeah, on TV Obscura. Yeah, she was uh, on Hawkeye. She uh, played uh, I forget the, the character's name, but she was like second billing. To, yeah, uh, I th- I thought she had a bit more. I thought she had a bit more fun in in Partners in Crime. Um, but yeah, my my final thoughts on on all three of them. Um, I land exactly where you guys land with Hooperman. I think we all agree on that. That thing is a gem, and hopefully, not that we have any great power in this world, but hopefully, someone hears this episode and goes out and checks it out, and maybe champions that show and. We get a Blu-ray release or a DVD box set or something like that because, yeah, that that show is too good to just f- disappear into nothingness. Um, John Ritter deserves better than that. Um, so that's it's a, and I'm with you, Zach. It's in its own category. It doesn't even it doesn't even come close to anything else. Um, Max Monroe, I had fun with. It's a show I probably would have watched at the time, but I don't feel like it's breaking any new ground. And you know, I also do. I also have to kind of address the fact that I think the lot of the fun that I had with the episode was from the the, the side characters, the special guests, the you know Bub the zombie and, and Tony Todd. That like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like I think for me that's what elevated that episode. And maybe I don't know if other episodes would have sort of hit the same if it wasn't for that one. And uh, you know Shannon Tweed and everybody. Like it was a strong. Strong episode for, for, you know, character actors and, like, sort of these side names and stuff. Um, and then Partners in Crime, I really wanted to like that more than than I did. Uh, Diallo honestly summed it up the best where he just said, you know, I can see why it was only 13 episodes. I think they really needed to do something to create some kind of tension between Lonnie Anderson and, and Linda Carter. Like they, even when they first meet in the pilot episode as being these two ex wives, they're pretty cordial to each other. And they're kind of nice to each other. Even they're like, they mention things and I'm like, I'm not vibing. I don't like mention things like maybe they're not like vibing on something, but I'm like, I'm not vibing with that. Like they're, it's just the chemistry between the two is too good. And I think they did have chemistry for the most part, but they needed to have, like, they needed to butt heads more. They needed that kind of chemistry, not the we'd like each other chemistry. Corey, just real quick, uh, and let me ask both of you, if we, if you were to recast that today, what two women actresses would you put in there for those two roles? Because I do believe that they tried to do it where they needed to be, like, these sexy bombshells. Weird. What happened? Oh, because the yeah, I know. Zoom, the AI Zoom, Zoom does these like thumbs up. Yeah, I know. Yeah, whatever. Um, I I do believe that they cast them because they were sex symbols. So I think you have to go with that. Mm-hmm. Like I think they need to be people like 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 women who were who are sex symbols. 
Um, that being said, I'm I'm bad at these recasting things. Uh, Zach, you, you, do you have any ideas? It's so tough, and and I get on this, I get on a rant sometimes because I'm like, you see so many shows on that are streaming now. It, you go to Netflix and you see the same actor in three different shows, right? Or you go to Apple TV, the same actor is in five different shows. Or and and that's God bless them for for locking that shit down. But these these quote unquote networks um, like keep the same actors in their wheelhouse. They just put them in different roles and different shows. It's tough. I mean, not you know nowadays, I, like only because. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Kristen's watching it, the morning show. It'd be like Reese Witherspoon and, um, you know, Feruza Balk, or not Feruza Balk, um, um, right, Christina Ricci or something, you know? <laughs> and and they wouldn't be married to him at separate times. Nowadays, you know this, they probably would want, they'd be mistresses or they'd both be married to him at the exact same time. So there's your tension there. Now, and that's why now this doesn't have popping. tension. I like that. Right? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah and, he, and that's the thing. You, you want, that's what. I think that's what we all felt. The three of us felt when we watched that episode. We wanted there to be some kind of quirkiness to it, some kind of like weird setup, but there really isn't. Uh, Dial to answer your question for at least one of them. I would love to see uh, Janina Gav- Gavanakar. Um, she was uh, she she was in. Um, she played Aiden Versio in Star Wars Battlefront Two, um, but she she was in she's also in the Morning Show as well. Uh, she was in the League as as Shiva on the League, but I think she was probably most known for True Blood. Oh, I know who you're talking about. I, when you said her name, yeah, when you said her name, I knew who you were talking about, but yeah. I probably botched her name, yeah, but yeah. Uh, she was. I, I loved her as Aiden Versio in uh, yeah, Star Wars Battlefront. I she was great. No. Who you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. She, I will, but I, I think I exactly. Like, no, <laughs> who you're talking about? <laughs> but Diallo, who who would you cast? Um, so right off the top of my head, Eva Longoria was popping in for some reason. I just really saw her as the um, sort of like the prissy rich one, and then I don't know. I can't. I can't quite think of who would be the other character, but. It would have to be someone like a, kind of what we were talking about, someone that's like, you know, obviously beautiful, but is actually playing a street kind of like street, street version. Tough. Yeah. And I'm off the top of my head. I can't really think of anyone. And it would also have to be someone that is actually like a at least a former A-lister. So I would like you. Could, what about what about uh, Angelina Jolie or something? I was like that? Think, I was thinking Angelina Jolie. I literally was thinking Angelina cool, actually. Jolie. Actually. Eva Longoria and Angelina Jolie. Yeah, I, I'd watch that. Yeah, definitely. I literally was thinking that. Um, but you got to make them butt heads more. That's yeah, the thing. She, well, she, she seems almost, tough. You know, she almost she almost is too like she could play because like she started off playing like kind of weird quirk, quirky characters, right? Um, right. But also, I was thinking like like you like a Margot Robbie or something. Like she, I think yeah. she might play a yeah. good that would, that would like, work too. Yeah, Lonnie or something. Anyways, I so I, I kind of feel like that premise, and I kind of just asked that question because I think the premise is solid. It just needed a little bit more work with the execution for it to for for it to have gone further than it did. So yeah, yeah. And, and I think that of the three shows. I, again, I don't think you could reboot Hooperman because you need John Ritter, unless you use his son. But even then, I, I just no, I would rather just let don't. it. Yeah, I would just let it rather just let it be. Um, 
you know, I think Shadow Stevens is kind of pretty connected to Max Monroe. And if it was somebody else, it just would become a, just another show. Nash but Bridges. I think Partners in <laughs> it would just be Nash Bridges. But I think Partners in Crime could actually be rebooted, and I think there's a lot of potential to actually do it right the second time, you know? And I, 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 I'm picking up what you're putting down, Diallo. And instead of Vanessa Williams, uh, Cardi B. Right? <laughs> or Vanessa Williams is one of the char- one of the two characters, yeah. you know? Actu- I don't know. Actually, it would be Dua Lipa. <laughs> there you go. And, uh, Zach, I assume Bodhi did not watch any of these shows with you. No, but he listens to the theme song of Max Monroe by Yellow. <laughs> there you go. I love that theme well, song. Well, guys and gals, I hope uh, you enjoyed this episode of TV Obscura. We've billed this one as Cali Crime Fighters because we were so close to San Francisco Crime Fighters. But uh, it's Cali. Cali all the way. SoCal, baby. (laughs) And Happy New Year's, everyone. Hope everyone uh, had a great New Year's. And, uh, you know, hope everyone kicks off their 2024 with, with, you know, light and love and happiness and all that Happy horse shit. <laughs> Zach, oh, I know you're bold. not feeling good, so plug your stuff first, and we'll let uh, Diallo do it afterwards so you can kind of just melt away. <laughs> oh, thank you. $2LateFee.com, TerritoryMarks.com. Uh, January is an off month for us. However, we will have fun surprises throughout. So subscribe to us if you're not already subscribed, and go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash $2 late fee. We have a really big guest season premiere uh, in February. She's been in a bunch of great 80s movies, and she's BFFs with Jill Sholin, so you probably know who it is already, but I'm not going to reveal that until you subscribe to patreon.com slash $2 late fee. Well, can, I throw out a, can I throw out a hint, Zach, of who she is without saying it? Sure. She was on two episodes of Seinfeld playing two separate characters. And she talks about that on the show. Awesome. Diallo, what uh, what you got going on, buddy? Um, First Noel Chronicles at firstnoelchronicles.com. Uh, Angela the Dark Motion Comic, which you can find on YouTube. And uh, I have my podcast, Galactica Actually, with Jamie Smith. We just started season three, literally season three, episode one, where we are on New Caprica. We actually did. We actually just covered the uh, webisodes. Um, I saw that. Yeah, which yeah. Um, I was pretty insistent that we do those because I don't think that uh, very many people cover that side of Battlestar Galactica. So I wanted to have some of that content there. You got to do the web episodes, man. When you were uh, when you and I were watching it, sort of together. I mean, I was kind of watching it on my own a little bit and then i'd come over and watch it with you um you were like no no we got to watch the web episodes before we go into season three so yeah man i fully stand by that as well yeah we have to really understand more why we hate jammer than we do (laughs) just by watching the regular episodes and then also uh just i started recently my uh other podcast it's more like a, a little tidbits daily bites so to speak not quite daily but um it's another review you didn't ask for where i do uh, quick reviews of uh movies tv shows mostly in uh, some cartoons um uh, there's no rhyme or reason to what i do i just give reviews to things i happen to watch and i feel moved to write them i just dropped rebel moon today um did godzilla minus one um, check out Blue Eye Samurai. I did Marvels. So 
Um, and they're bite sized. They're like uh, ten minutes ish around. Yeah, that, you know, they average. It's about seven minutes mostly. Um, sometimes eight. The one I did today was nine um, minutes. But yeah, I try to keep it like uh, uh, pretty brief. Mostly high level. I try to keep things spoiler free, but every once in a while I do, you know, drop something here or there. Um, but it's just really just to kind of prime you for what to expect because I do think, even you know, even when I talk about shows on here that I don't like. Um, I do think that there's potential always for things to be good. And sometimes I just think it's a matter of like your perspective going into something. So with a lot of the reviews I do on there, it's, uh, the intention is to kind of like get you, get you in the right like mode so that you can receive what they're doing, um, well, uh, well enough. So, um, but not with Rubble Moon. <laughs> oh man <laughs> yikes <laughs> <laughs> and of course guys and gals you can uh, check out podcastingafterdark.com that's podcastingafterdark.com for all the links to our merch store you can pick up a t-shirt a lot of which were uh, designed by yours truly um, you can also go and check out uh, links to our Patreon page all our podcatchers although I keep having to you know delete podcatchers that we were on because I think Stitcher's not doing them anymore, and now Google Podcasts is is disappearing as well. So it's 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 an interesting time, guys. We saw the the explosion of podcasts during you know COVID and quarantine, and now you know it's it's kind of shrinking back, but we ain't going nowhere. So you know what? The cream always rises to the top, as Macho Man would say. And as always. Catch us on Podcasting After Dark presents TV Obscura. Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. Heyo. And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we've made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal is a joke.